0: Amazing Grace Kona welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Last week we saw one of the reasons that John wrote this epistle, he said, was so that our joy would be made complete or full. And we had a fullness of joy. And guys, without fullness of joy, being a Christian's a drag. But see, the joy of the Lord comes from not focusing on our circumstances. Instead, it comes from focusing on him, on the Lord. When we put our eyes on the Lord, he never changes. He's always there steadfast, no matter what our trial is. So when our focus is him, all of a sudden, our joy isn't dependent on our circumstance. Our joy becomes dependent on our relationship to our maker. I've noticed that some of the, what I call the seasoned Christians, the Mature ones that have walked many a day with the Lord. They have this ability that no matter what the circumstance is, they still have joy. I mean, they could be having a crummy, I mean, talking about bad stuff happening in their day. And you're like, how can you be so joyful? And it's not because their focus is on their circumstance. They learned a long time ago, that's not the source of our joy. The source of our joy is the Lord and our relationship with the lord and how much does the lord love us does his love ever waver does it ever change toward us no and we're going to continue on in the epistle of first john as we see john told us that it doesn't matter what our sin is how much sin can jesus's blood cleanse All. and when we remember that this is by the way the first source of our joy comes from the fact how much sin did he forgive us? All. Oh. You know, sometimes we just need to go to church and hear, man, your sins are all, everyone, because we might have got beat up by our sin this week. And we might have had someone throwing it in our face. Man, you're a sinner. I'm thinking, yeah, why do you think I signed up for this club? By the way, if you're perfect, you don't need to stay. You're not going to get much out of this. But the rest of us, the Bible says, how many have sinned? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned and when we recognize that we've all sinned, then we come to this really sweet understanding. We need someone to do something about it and the reason we have fullness of joy is because Christ did something about it and John, he's going, guys, let me write to you these things so that our joy can be complete. Now, as we go through this epistle, there are so many sweet things In this, I'm going to have to break it down a bit. But today we're going to come to verse 1 of chapter 2, where John is going to say the second reason he's writing, not just that we have fullness of joy, but I want to show you this. In verse 1, if you'll look on with me, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's writing to us so we may not sin. Now this is one of the things that, well, he writes... If we do sin, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation of our sins. What does propitiation mean? He was our propitiation. What does that mean? It means he was our substitutionary payment. If I were to pay for my sins, it would have cost me all my blood. The Bible says the life is in the blood, but the wages of sin is death. And if you want to pay for death, you got to pay for it with life. And that's what Christ did. That's why we sing all those hymns. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. One of the things that's so encouraging to me is knowing what the Lord did to forgive my sin. He went to great lengths. And it cost God the greatest payment you could possibly give he gave his only begotten son you know when people say how much did it cost for your salvation it was a dear price if you asked me give up my son Daniel if you said pastor would you let your son die for that perverse horrible person you no know my answer would be let them die themselves man I'm keeping my boy but see this is what God did for us he gave up his only begotten son because he loved us so much And that, by the way, is really good news. Now, John's going to explain if we do sin, we have an advocate. What is an advocate? Literally, a defense attorney. The one that defends you before the judge. Now, we're told in the scripture if we do sin, we have a defense attorney. Who's our defense attorney? Jesus. And who's the judge? God the Father. I, just picture in your mind a courtroom where God's behind the big bench there and he's got the gavel and, and then we're brought before him with our sin. He says, if we sin, we gotta go to court for this. We stand before God for our sin. But when we go, who goes with us as our defense attorney? Jesus. Our advocate goes with us. Oh, by the way, who's the prosecuting attorney? Satan. Satan. I can't lie. He's in the scripture. I'll show you just quickly. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. It says, now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who has been thrown down for he accuses them before our God day and night. It says they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. And because of the word of their testimony. And because they did not love their life even unto death. And by the way, these are the three keys of an overcomer. If you ever feel like the devil's whomping on you a little and you need to overcome him, remember, it's the blood of Jesus first. You need his blood, the blood of the lamb. And the second thing that you have that's a tool to overcome the devil, and every one of you have this, is called the word of your testimony. See, the devil can't argue what God is doing in your life because that's what he's doing in you. He loves to argue scripture. He'll get people, he even did this to Jesus. threw it up and said, does not the scripture say? Do you think the devil can't quote scripture? I'm not saying he does a good job. He twists it and pulls it out of context and gets people in trouble with his quotes. But he can't argue what God is doing in you. That's your testimony. See, your testimony is simply, here's where I was before I found out about the blood of Christ, and here's where I am today. Maybe your testimony is like some of the new believers that just went forward in the Harvest Crusade. Your testimony might be, I was in sin, and some friend dragged me to this stadium at AT&T, and this guy got up and told this message about Jesus, and, and my heart was just new. Like, it was like someone was tugging me. Go up there and get saved. That might be all they have. Is that their testimony? Yes. And the devil hates it when you hold on to the word of your testimony because he can't argue with you about it. It's your testimony. You can tell him, shut up, man. I'm just a work in progress. We're all works in progress. But the word of our testimony is that there is a God working. And the devil hates that. But see, you want to overcome the devil? Let God work in you. And people will see, wow, look at what God's doing. I mean, he's changing that person. That person has changed. And those of you that are honest with yourself, how many of you experienced change what God has wrought within you as he has worked in areas that maybe you didn't even expect him to work on? I mean, he worked on refining you in different ways because he's a God at work. And there's one more thing in our arsenal. I have a defense attorney. And you know what my defense attorney does? When I am drugged before our Heavenly Father, the true judge, and accused by Satan, Jesus steps up in front and says, let me handle this one. By the way, I don't have to handle my own case. Jesus handles my case. Jesus goes, I got this. Your Honor, objection. He says, what's the objection? I paid for that already. With my blood. And our Heavenly Father, you know what he does? He takes that gavel. Case dismissed. Throws it out. Next. But you know what kills me? He doesn't quit on any of us. How many of you felt like the devil's been accusing you this week? Just working on you. You He's just trying to trip you up. Let me tell you. John says, I write this little epistle. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon today, please remember you have an advocate a defense attorney, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who stands before God on your behalf and says, I got this. Because the devil likes to work over people. He likes to make them feel terrible. He likes to condemn. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn anyone. Right? Isn't his words, I did not come to condemn, I came to save. If you feel condemned, let me tell you, the source is not God. Some people say, oh, I feel like God's condemning me. No way. There's only one condemner of the brethren. One accuser. That's the devil. He will accuse you night and day. Now, I'm not telling you that the Holy Ghost will not use a different C word, not condemned. What word does he use to tell us we have sin? Convict. He convicts us concerning our sin. And the difference is, it's interesting. Conviction and condemnation. They both point out that we have sin. But they have two completely different reactions in our being. When we're condemned, we feel driven away from God, not worthy. When the devil whips on us a bunch of condemnation for our sin, we feel like, I can't do it. Here's one line. I might have heard it in my own head, but I've heard it repeated enough times I can tell you. Pastor, I'm not even worth being a Christian, man. I blow it all the time. I should just quit. You don't even want me to come to your church. Really? This is not a museum for the righteous. You know that, right? Church is a hospital for the sinner, the sick. This is a place where people were spiritually in need of a great physician for their soul to come. Jesus came to doctor you up. And Jesus will show you that you have sin. The devil condemns you. He says, you sinned, you blew it. And he tries to wedge this thing between you and God and drive you away. But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost says, you've sinned, you've blown it. And God wants you to bring that sin to him. He wants you to get forgiven for that sin. And the conviction, even though it starts with a C, just like condemnation, it does completely a different thing. They both point out sin, but here's the difference. Condemnation drives you away from God. Conviction reunites you with God. It brings you back to God. That's what the Holy Ghost, when he convicts me concerning my sin, he's like, hey, you're blowing it. But he's not trying to drive me from God. He's trying to say, hey, let's let that go. Quit walking in that. Let it go. And his conviction, well, this is where I find out what John is talking about. I write to you, he says, so that you may not sin. Scripture is beautiful when it comes to helping us To break free from sin. This whole idea that I may not sin. I had to learn there are substitutions. Good substitutions. Let me just put it this way. In the Bible, when the Bible says not to do something. It doesn't say don't do this period. It tells you what to do instead. Like in Romans chapter 12. We read when your enemy is doing bad to you. We're supposed to pray for them, right? And in Romans 12 it says, Bless and curse not. Any of you ever had someone come against you that's just really been a jerk? What do you do for them? Well, the Bible says, it says even to pray for your, those that persecute you. I find that, you know, all these sciences of psychology and sociology are just studies of human behavior. And, you know, in these fields of study, I believe there's some folks, very astute observers, that are some of the top leaders in these fields. They are able to observe human behavior. They can identify problems in people's the day-to-day habitual things that they do. They even can write theses about it. This guy has a habit every day. He gets up, he stretches, he eats, he does this, goes for a run. He has some good habits. And then th- this guy gets up and he doesn't do any of that stuff. And they classify all these people into different groupings. They observe the problems, but they don't have the answer for the person stuck in them. Now the Bible says, for everything that there's an area where we're tempted to sin, there's an area like, um, say we're tempted to lie. Now don't raise your hand, but if any of you have ever lied, it's probably all of us, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us instead of speaking lies, speak the truth. And since we are creatures of habit, whatever it is, whatever area of sin that we fall in, some people they say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I grew up in an alcoholic family. I am the child product of generations of alcoholics. I tell them, so am I. Except that the scripture says, do not be drunk with wine. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't just end right there. Do not do this. Because God knew we were creatures of habit, you know what he did? He's so kind. He tells us, say we had this bad habit. We're a liar. Or we're a drunkard. We have other areas. We, uh, you know, Pick your genre of sin. We all got it. Facebook this week, someone posted on my wall said, don't judge others just because they sin differently than you. Right? We all sin. The Bible says we all sin. And fall short of the glory of God. It's just we might have a different area. But in every area of sin, John says, I'm writing to you so you may not sin. And this is the beauty of learning the word of God. For every area of sin that we have, does God not know my frame? Does he not know how we're wired? Do you think the psychologists have more knowledge of our wiring than our maker? I had a question for you. God, does he know more than they do? And you know, what's interesting, the guy who knows more than they do, when he talks about us having a, a habit, which by the way, like it or not, we are creatures of habit. When my son's asked me, I, I need to break this habit, dad. I've got a bad habit. He wants me to like tell him the secret to like somehow instead of doing this, what's the magic secret word, password that makes you stop? There is none. The Bible doesn't even teach that. You know what the Bible teaches? Instead of doing the bad habit that you do, you replace it, because you're a creature of habit, you're going to do the habit. Let's just change the habit from the bad habit and replace it with a good one. If you're a person given to lying, here's what God's Word says, instead of lying, and Ephesians tells us this too in chapter 4, speak the truth. If you're a person that has corruptible speech or um, unwholesome words. Another translation says Ephesians 4.29. You know, you just kind of got potty mouth. That's what it says. I'm just paraphrasing, okay? Modern day translation. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word, Ephesians 4.29 says, as is good for giving edification. Only such a word as builds up that person. Don't let unwholesome things come. Say, things that build up that person. You look beautiful today. Love your outfit. Words that build, not tear down. We need to practice. And this is what the Word of God is so superior to the psychologist because the problems are all identified in the Word of God. But the solutions, interestingly enough, the solutions are right there in the same verses. Instead of being drunk with wine, Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be filled to excess with wine. Be filled with God's Spirit. You get a greater high from the Holy Spirit and you have no downside. No puking later, no hangover, no throbbing head, right? You get a better buzz. Now, see, I've never been drunk, so I can't compare, but some folks I know have, and they've come to Christ and they've been filled with the Holy Ghost and they tell me, On their testimony, they tell me that the high that they get from the Holy Ghost is so much greater than anything they got from a bottle or anything they got from artificial stimulations of different drugs because the Holy Spirit doesn't take them up and drop them. And he doesn't charge either. Some of these drug habits are expensive. I was talking to Mark Potts last night. He was reminding me that in his years of drug habiting, that he said, I could have bought your house three times over. I admire my brother Mark because he came to the college and career night a couple weeks ago and he said, he told the kids, look, you want a reason not to do drugs? Look at me. Look what it's done to me. Don't go there. All the pain and all the suffering that it's brought. Now he serves the Lord. Do you think that our kids are not paying attention to what we do? You can say, don't do this all day long, right? But if you do it, what do the kids see? What you say? Or what you do. Do as I say and not as Pfft, oh, Come on. you got to live it. Some dads get really mad at me when I tell them, excuse me, but you want your boy to quit doing this sin? But you're doing it. And you can't tell him to stop unless you stop. And he said, but I don't know how to stop. And I go, but the Word of God knows how. The Word of God says, instead of cursing, Bless. Bless and curse not. Now that is something. Some of you could maybe use this in your drive time. When the idiot cuts you off. You're going to practice the sermon today. From Romans 12. Just want you to put this into practice. The next time that jerk cuts you off. And you want to curse. Instead you're going to go. God bless you. You need it. You drive bad. But you need a blessing. And bless that person. Now you're laughing at me, but you just wait till the next time it crosses your mind. I'm goofy enough to get up here and make you remember. This is powerful, by the way. For your spiritual well-being, when you bless someone instead of cursing, see, when you speak curses to them, do you know that as you're cursing, what does it do to your innards, you know, like your heart rate, your uh, blood pressure, your ulcer, your your heartburn you know when you get worked up and start cursing someone whether you realize it or not you might think that you're really letting them have it but who's really suffering inside you are and this is where we have the word of God so precious saying instead of cursing may the Lord bless you you need it maybe that's all you'll get out but you know what let me tell you will it change how you feel will change inside of you When you start speaking blessings instead of cursings? Absolutely. In fact, I challenge you today. As you go through this week, this upcoming week, do me a favor. Any time that you perhaps have this temptation thrown in front of you to curse some idiot or maybe family member or spouse or whoever, instead of speaking a curse, speak a blessing. That's what the Bible says. Bless and curse not. Here's your alternative. You want to break a bad habit of cursing? Pick up a good habit. Start blessing. That's all there is to it. They speak of something that you just, God bless you. And you know what will happen inside of you? You'll feel a peace come over you. The peace of God, it says, which surpasses all human comprehension will guard your heart and your mind. When you start doing the very things that are written, he's right, and so we may not sin. You know, we get sucked into sin. The devil is a crafty dude. My son Daniel says, Dad, you know, I think he's a little better at this, and we give him credit. He's had a, a lot more years of practice than we've been alive. Think about it. How long has the devil been practicing his job? I mean, we got 6,000 years of recorded history from Adam to now. Six thousand. You don't think he's practiced a little on how to trip up guys, how to get them mad? That guy is practiced. But we can practice good habits in the spirit. These are spiritually good habits. I'm talking about. How many of you know that verse? Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, good reputation, let your mind dwell or meditate on these things. Whatever is true, whatever is right. Now, if you do sin, did he know? We may not, but we may also do it anyway. And if we do, who represents us? Jesus. He is our propitiation, not only for our sake, it says, but for the whole world. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled... Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.